0: Your sideline, Tournament is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that, touchdown! Cougars on the first play of the game. Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop and a score. It rolls around and drops down.
1: Takes this free kick and curls it
0: inside the left post. What a goal! He's been with you for the moments that make your BYU sports memories. He's the voice of the Cougars. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo, Utah for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Our Wednesday night uh, fireside chat with uh, BYU sports and media personalities that we hope bring you a little more insight into what makes these Cougars who they are and makes them interesting to me, and hopefully you. We're glad you're joining us, whether listening live on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, or the BYU Radio app. You can also get this weekly broadcast on demand via podcast. Just search for and subscribe to Behind the Mic. You can also hear the archived version of the show on our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel show page at BYUradio.org. Tonight, we look at the BYU-Utah football game from the perspective of a former player turned analyst and a former BYU QB responsible for one of the biggest plays in rivalry history as we talk with my BYU TV colleague Brian Logan and one half of Beck to Harleen, John Beck. John will be featured in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. In between, we'll talk some baseball as Cougar head coach Mike Littlewood joins us to talk about his life on the Diamond and on the Hardwoods. He has an intriguing backstory, and we'll tell you that story, at least some of it, uh, tonight. But we start tonight's show by getting defensive with former BYU defensive back Brian Logan, now a broadcaster and a podcaster. You can see Brian on BYU TV's After Further Review and as a guest and fill in host on BYU Sports Nation. He also hosts the Royal Blue podcast. All of this after a BYU career that included five picks and 21 pass breakups in two seasons as a Cougar. He was also on the last BYU team to defeat Utah back in 2009. Brian, welcome into Studio 2. And that last stat is when we have to do something about. It has been too long <laughs> since BYU's last
2: win over the Utes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, man. That was probably the best introduction I've had since I've been here at BYU, even even playing. So I appreciate it. You, no, you you, you brought you, back you, but butterflies, man. No, you know. you merit all of that and then some.
0: <laughs> yeah, good 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 to have you in.
2: Yeah, um, that that that's right, man. It's it's uh, we got to do something about that. Um, that's that's just too long and. Um, you know that there's times with with rivalries where you look at um, talent level and, and maybe one team may be above the other, um, and you, and you kind of have these stretches. But you know, with with the talent and the team and the capability that BYU's had over the last couple of years, that that should be a no no. You know, so um, they they got to they got to figure it out. But I think it, it first starts with the the mindset and the mentality.
0: And and as dominant as Utah's been. In winning six in a row, uh, it's rare that either team in this rivalry over the last 20, 30 years just walks in and cleans up on the other. Right. Uh, these games tend to be, uh, hard fought and close, even when one team has a bit of an edge over the other over a stretch of seasons. It's kind of a tired stat by now, but it, but it, you know, it, it, it merits repeating that of the last 19 games, only three have been decided by more than a touchdown. Yeah. So uh, you know, and BYU's last sizable or blowout win over the Utes came back in 1996. That's 21 years ago. Ooh. So the last time BYU really had it over on Utah, yeah. it's been 21 years. And Utah's had its share uh, here and there of big wins over BYU, but for the most part, BYU Utah uh, retains its own unique uh, personality. And regardless of, of again dominance stretches in terms of years, close games are the norm.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the good thing about this rivalry and, and why you can say it's you know probably top 10 top 15 in the nation I think I saw a stat um, when I first got here in 2009 uh, just trying to prepare uh, for the the week of and um, you know I think it was it was ranked like number eight all time um, and and so I think you know when you when you have rivalries uh, in college football and you do have some some lopsided wins every you know every once in a while here and there, um, based off of personnel and teams having up years and down years, the fact that this rivalry isn't like that. It doesn't matter what the team is going through. Uh, it's always a close game. I mean, that's that—that's the, the beauty of it, right, and, and the excitement. And so, you know, I, I tell these guys and just family and friends that it doesn't matter what the records are, what what personnel they have, players. It, you, they could have a Heisman candidate. It doesn't matter. You got to throw all of that at the window. And, uh, and, and go and play this game. Now, that that's kind of a cliched sentiment, but it really
0: does reflect reality when it comes to BYU and Utah right. about tossing out the records and all that. We're talking with uh, Brian Logan, BYU TV's Brian Logan. You talk about coming to BYU and learning about the rivalry, uh, which leads us into the fact that uh, you were not a four-year Cougar. You were a two-year Cougar, as yeah. I noticed. So you came from somewhere. Uh, re- refresh folks as to your background and what eventually brought you to BYU.
2: Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give you the, the summarized version. Um, originally from the Bay Area uh, and went to junior college, uh, you know, being five, six, and I think I was 150 pounds out of, out of high school. Um, went Foot, to, you went to Foothill? Yep, yeah, went to Foothill Junior College. Um, really just went through puberty late. So, um, you know, got my grown man strength and, and uh, you know, enhanced my skills. And I committed my first year to San Diego State. So all of my sophomore year, I was denying scholarships and wasn't getting recruited um you know head coach had had left um uh then uh i think rocky long at the time brady Hulk took over and there's eight kids that committed under rocky long and uh brady hoke uh came in i was the only player that he didn't honor the scholarship mm-hmm. out of out of this out of the seven out of the eight kids um and you know god is good he works in mysterious ways and, and coach hill was on the phone literally can't make this up people he was on the phone while uh, he was talking to uh, the receivers coach, who was the only coach on the staff that stayed at San Diego State when Brady Hulk walked in and said he didn't want to, you know, honor my scholarship. And uh, I think there was a kid from uh, another junior college um, in LA that had committed uh, to BYU initially, and his junior college de- uh, defensive back coach ended up taking the job to Washington. So he was, he said. Peace out, BYU I'm going with my J C coach, rightfully so. And so, you know, Coach Hill was in a bind and they were looking for a corner and it was it was perfect timing, you know, God's timing. So um yeah, that's the uh, that's the the summarized version. But, so San Diego
0: State uh, turned its back. BYU opens a door, yeah. and, and you walk through.
2: Yeah, you know it's it's so funny because and, and this I could I could take a a look at this now. Me being more spiritual, uh, mature. You know, I, I went. I committed to the number one uh, party school voted by Playboy, and <laughs> again, I came to the number one Stone Cold you know, Sober yep, school. school. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it was clear that you know God had a plan and. Um, you know, the fact that I'm still here now and, uh, doing this, um, you know, not being LDS and, and being, being black where, it, you know, in a community you, you hear stories or challenges that, that these kids have. And for me to have the success and, you know, had the great time and met my wife and we have two beautiful kids and nice home. I mean, you know, blessed. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, it's, it feels like a dream, I guess, you know, I still wake up and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not doing, that. I'm not doing this. So. It's uh, yeah, it's been a blessing.
0: So, being a Bay Area guy and then committing to a SoCal school, here you are. I'm sure you never saw yourself living and making a living in Utah, but here you are about about a decade living here in the Beehive State now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, what's what's even more interesting is so my my mother came out. Um, th- her house just got built, so they're in Saratoga Springs now. Um, so I'm, I'm slowly making an impact, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with my family. Um, and, and my two little brothers and my, and my, my stepdad uh, working on my grandma and, and uh, my uh, my other grandma right now uh, to, to make their way and some of my cousins. But, um, you know, just, just for being here for so long and them coming and visiting us, um, you know, there was multiple times where my mom came out on Thanksgiving and Christmas and we had players over. And even when we stopped uh, playing, you know, my wife and I, we still extended, you know, our, our, our home to, to some of the guys there because we, we understand how it is. You know, a lot of guys, um, don't have family here, and, and nobody should be alone on on those types of holidays. You know, and, and Easter, and you know, Pastor Scott McKinney has been has been great for for us, and uh, just off of Center Point Church comes and does Bible studies. He he married me and my wife my <laughs> senior year at, in Coach Weber's backyard uh, after we beat Washington. Happy we won that <laughs> that game. By the way, Coach Weber is back in town now. He's yeah, around. It's yeah. good to see him around. Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, I, I've seen him at a couple of uh, of. Uh, I don't know if they're like coaching clinics and and some some trainings and some recruiting mm-hmm. uh types of services that so we that we've done together but yeah he's uh he's been a blessing as well and I mean he taught me a lot about uh about getting married and and what things to do gave me some books so um <laughs> uh, man I I just I couldn't no no kid I got to say this nobody would have that experience or that opportunity here uh or, or anywhere else um I I can't even say you know like TCU and Baylor uh, and, and I think it, it has nothing to do with the, the people and, and the coaches that are there. But I think when you come here to BYU, you just know that we can talk like this. We can talk about family. We can talk about religion. Um, and, and we can be open. And those those lessons, man. And, and Bronco says it all the time. I'm a Bronco guy. I love mm-hmm. him. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he was perfect, but, but, uh, you know, it it really makes sense to me now when he says, you know, when he said, uh, you know, football is, is number five, you know, and, and, uh, doesn't mean I don't want to win. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try hard, but at the end of the day, you know, what are the things that are going to, going to matter most? And those conversations, you know, matter most and, uh, still live to live with me to this day. I don't you know, I barely remember, you know, Coach Hill or Bronco yelling at me for a cover two or you know, whatever the case is. But you know, I I do remember, you know, still to this very day, uh, Bronco saying, you know, get home, put your phone down, turn on silent, turn upside down unless you're waiting for something important, but you know, spend time with your babies and, and your wife and yeah, it's it's uh yeah, I can't I can't ask for, you know, any any other you know, better situation.
0: So a lot of lessons learned about what takes you farthest in life beyond football. And here you are; you're still around the game. Uh, you're here at BYU broadcasting. It's a big part of your life too, yeah. and, and and you get to stay close to it and and still be up to speed with what's going on with the current guys and uh, be you know uh, keep keep in it. I guess right.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and and you know, talking to to my cousin Joe Sampson that played a year after me, um, Devon Blackman, um, you know Cody Hoffman, a couple other guys doing the podcast. Um, you know they 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 kind of they they said that they felt lost. You know, uh, growing up, you think one way, which is you know NFL. Every and every kid thinks that. I don't. You know, they're lying to you if they're not if they, if they don't say that. Um, they they may not think that it's everything like somebody like myself or Joe or Devon. Um, but, but that's that's why you play the games to go to the next level. And you know, guys like us, where you know we're not taught four hundred one ks, we're not taught you know going own your own business and and life outside of football. You kind of get, you kind of do get lost. You know, you are literally consumed, you know, with this schedule since you know seven years old. You go to school, then you go to practice, right? And then same thing with offseason; it never stops. And so when it's done, and you still have class, and you don't make it to the NFL, it's man, what do you what do you do? You know, uh, I'm not important anymore. You don't have anybody yelling at me, and, and and even though that's not the case, that's how you feel. And so you know, me coming back from from the CFL. Um, and uh and, and taking david Nixon's spot as an analyst it it helped me i, I never went i never went through that at all I, it, it was like i never skipped a beat mm-hmm. because i was still around the program i still felt like i made an impact um and and that's what you know the, doing the podcast um you know that those guys are telling me and uh, it's it's been such a blessing you know at first i was like oh yeah so i'm here and god got me here and this is a crazy story and BYU TV, but as he's revealing to me more and more now it's it's being able to take care of those kids, you know a lot of those guys I'm like, "Hey, man, I can't do a lot i don't ha I'm not this big you know podcast, I'm not great Rebell, you know, <laughs> but um i- i you know, I could pay you like a hundred dollars to come on and uh they're like dude that I really needed groceries or I needed gas money hmm. and um you know it's it's that type of stuff that that really uh You know, I I believe why I'm here now versus just to you know wear makeup and and put a smile on TV.
0: (laughs) Well, we we didn't get into um, a ton of X's and O's relative to what's going to happen on Saturday, but maybe we'll we'll leave our listeners with you putting on the analyst hat here and uh, giving us a sense of what do you think it may come down to for BYU to get the result they uh, they want to get this Saturday against the Utes.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, like we said earlier in the in the show. it's it's going to be a close game. Um, you know, turnovers are are huge, and and I don't think guys have to be be perfect like like LSU, right? I mean, when you look at the, the talent level uh, with those types of schools, and, and and potentially maybe maybe look back. I can't look back too far because I was only here two thousand two thousand nine. But I remember the the bigger teams that we played, the P five schools in Oklahoma. You know, we we were almost almost perfect. You know, um, that doesn't mean that we didn't get beat in one on one matchups because guys were you know ran four threes and we ran four sixes. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but from execution standpoint, we we were perfect. And um, I I I don't think that BYU has to do that like they needed to do last week. Um, but I do think that they they need to have more focus on composure and and, and the reason why it's because. That the the field and the stadium, Greg. Oh, I'm like getting goosebumps. It, it it doesn't matter. You can get you could be here in Provo or you can be there in Salt Lake. The the electricity and, and like the spirit or the aura. It's just something there that you are constantly going tick 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 tick. You never have this this down moment. And because of that, it's easier to jaw. It's easy to uh, think, man. This this guy just hit me. The referee didn't see it. I'm going to go back in you know knock him out the next play and you try to go you try to do stuff that's outside of your assignment you try to be superman and so if you got if you stay even kill you know you are able to focus on those Xs and Os on the keys everything that you prepped for that week and then obviously you know the penalties and the boneheaded penalties and the mistakes um so that's how you can, can how you can be uh clean how you can have a perfect game uh by avoiding you know some of those mental mistakes Brian, good
0: to have you in talking about the football and life. And we'll do this again, I am certain. Uh, Thanks again, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Hopefully we all get the result we want here on Saturday. And we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right, that is uh, Brian Logan. And we are going from Logan to Littlewood. BYU baseball coach Mike Littlewood is our next guest, bringing him in studio 2 This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. You are tuned in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. We're talking baseball with Coach Littlewood coming up next. Stay with us. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, back when I was a student here at BYU, Mike Littlewood was a baseball player here at BYU, an all-conference third baseman for the Cougs, who was later drafted and spent a season in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. His playing days were soon followed by days in the dugout as both a decorated high school and later junior college coach. It was at Dixie State that Mike won a National JUCO Championship in 2004, and it was from Dixie State that he made the move back to BYU, where he has led the Cougar baseball program since 2012, winning 30 or more games four times in five seasons and setting a high-water mark with a 38-win campaign this past season. A campaign that culminated with a regular season WCC title, a conference tournament title, and an appearance in the NCAA tournament. The Cougars' first NCAA tourney bid in 15 years. And speaking of NCAA tournaments, Mike has experience in more than just the baseball variety. He has officiated college basketball at the highest levels of the sport, including deep runs into the NCAA tournament amid the madness of March. It is my pleasure to welcome into studio Two the head coach of the BYU Baseball Cougars, Mike Littlewood. Hello, Mike.
1: Hey keep going. I, I kind of like that. That was, <laughs> that was really good. Good to be here, Greg.
0: Well, it's uh, it's good to have you in. I knew this would happen at some point soon uh, in the life of this show because uh, you interest me and I have done such great things here at, at BYU. And uh, in the real world, the, the the Major League Baseball season is reaching its peak, and so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But I wanted to find out just more about you and your background. And uh, uh, I guess we could start with uh, kind of born and raised, and, and you know what was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah, I was born in L.A. Um, in Watts during the riot. 1966. Uh, never met my natural father. Seen one picture of him. Left, left before I was born. Was uh, truly blessed when I was two years old to be adopted by my, my father that I've known as my father. Uh, grew up in Salt Lake. Went to Taylorsville High School. Um, married my high school sweetheart. Been married 32 years now. Um, got married when we were like 12. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving <laughs> my age away. But, uh, um, he looks younger than he is, folks. Wife, yeah. Danny, and four kids, six grandkids. Uh, it's had a blessed life, no doubt. Had a blessed life. Been able to do what I love doing, and uh, I'm, I'm good at athletics. I've got an athletic mind, and that's, that's pretty much all I'm good at, and I was blessed enough to be able to uh, make that my career, and uh, I've never really truly woken up. And Well, I painted for my father when I was, he, had a, he was a, a firefighter, paramedic, and owned a painting contracting business. And so I painted with him when I was literally twelve, thirteen, fourteen years, all the way through my early twenties when I was finishing school. So I, I can say I went to work then. But since I've been coaching, I, I don't, or refereeing basketball, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life.
0: When did the LDS Church uh, come into your life?
1: You know, I wasn't active growing up. My my parents were, were members, but they weren't active. Um, I was actually baptized when I was twelve years old, and uh, my, my wife, who was. My friend, when I was eighth and ninth grade, and I've known her since third grade, I mean, we, we literally grew up together. Um, her family was very active, and, and I saw the great example they were. Her father, who who passed away in 1997, but uh, just they were very active, and, and I loved the feeling that we had, uh, that I had when I was with them, and kind of just grew from there. Started going to church with them, as a matter of fact, and... Um, my, my parents are now now fully active members, have been through the temple, have been sealed and um, just pretty special you know if I had an, another if you have another show, we could talk about that, but pretty special to see um, my brothers. one of my brothers is really active and just the uh, I guess the commitment my, my parents have made to the church and, and their conversion story over the last 10 years has been pretty special for us to see as a family.
0: Uh, to which sports did you talked about being uh, somebody who's like naturally athletic to which sports did you uh, gravitate as as a youngster
1: well I you know in in junior high and my sophomore year in high school I ran track played basketball played football and, and played baseball and I was fortunate enough at Taylorville High School I was in 19 I guess it was 82 my sophomore year was the first year it was open and so I got to start varsity in all three sports and run a little track at the same time and uh we were horrible and that's usually the part i leave out like i started varsity at, at these positions but uh, i would usually throw the ball to the other team most of the time but it was it was just it was great i mean i i knew that um I, I think i i i knew that i loved athletics when i grew up by on 21st south and 7th east and there was a a boys club and i would come home i'd be alone and go over to the boys club and and play baseball and play play anything really i mean anything we could do but i kind of grew up doing that and just anything that anything with a ball or a paddle or, or a stick or I just I just loved it and my mind works the way that I think my dad coached me when I was seventh and eighth grade in Babe Ruth and I was always asking right trying to write the lineup and um, trying to be more of a coach than a player and I've just always had that my mind's hmm. th- always thought like a coach um, and so I think that's just the way I gravitated and I was a better baseball player than any other at my my skill level and Obviously the the game caught up to me at some point, which it does to pretty much everyone. And I I think I always knew I was going to be a coach and and fortunately, I've been able to do that.
0: So you've alluded to the cerebral aspect of the sport a little bit right there, uh, but what was and remains maybe the appeal of the sport of uh, baseball separate from other sports? What's uh, what what really hooked you and has kept you?
1: I think just when people say baseball's boring, I just inside I laugh because baseball's the most if you know baseball it's the most exciting sport that that there is out there simply because there's so much thinking that goes into every single pitch where guys play and what pitch are you going to throw you take into consideration the hitter's bat path where he's standing at, in the plate um what kind of stuff the pitcher has i mean is a pitcher fatigued and just all these different things go into every single pitch and there's so much strategy in baseball and i think that's that's the number. Well, first of all, I was you know five eleven three quarters, maybe six in, in tennis shoes, and couldn't jump a lick, and was a pretty bad shooter. So I knew I wasn't going to play basketball, and I wasn't very good at football either. So and undersized, and, and I wasn't going to do that. And so baseball is pretty much my only chance. Um, and fortunately, I, I loved to, to work at it. Um, I didn't work in the weight room like guys do now because back then we really didn't know what a weight room was. But I had the passion and the energy and, and just the love. I would always watch games on TV and. Um, and back then it was WGN and TBS. And mm-hmm. so it was based, Ryan Sandberg Vance, watching Vance Law with, with the Cubbies and, and Dale Murphy with the, with the Braves, those guys. So to be able to rub shoulders with those guys now and call them my friends is just pretty special to me. But just always had this, I guess, love affair with baseball. I don't know what, really what it is. There's not one particular moment that I thought, oh, I really like this. I just, in my mind, really, it's back to the, the Kiwanis and the, and the, the boys club. I, I couldn't wait to get home from school to walk down the block to to the boys' club to play stickball or over the line or whatever it was.
0: Growing up as a kid in Canada, I was, of course, uh, part of the hockey culture. We all are. But, uh, but baseball was number two, and uh, in Canada, you know, we'd, we'd get the U.S. cable feeds, TV feeds, and it was, you know, I was one of those NBC Game of the Week guys. I'd watch This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen, then mm. followed by the Game of the Week, yeah. and so that was kind of my Saturday routine, and then I was such a voracious reader and stats. I was into Stratomatic before. There was such things as you know, fantasy baseball. I was a Stratomatic guy, and then I was reading the the, the old Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees were the two teams that captivated. I, I would read books and books about those teams, mm. and so... I had that kind of, uh, again, hook or appeal when I was a kid. That, that that again kind of uh, you know brought me in, and even though baseball wasn't as widely available um, as it was down in the states, I would still have those weekly routines. And of course, you know Montreal and Toronto being the only two Canadian teams, we naturally were attached to everything they did. And I still remember to this day once I went on my mission, um, and and it was the Toronto Blue Jays blowing, I think a, a, a three game lead with four games to play to Detroit, and like it was nineteen eighty seven. And my dad was, and I was finding this out like days and weeks after the fact, but Jack I was just Morris. crushed. <laughs> by the fact that my Blue Jays had blown this great lead. And uh, I still remember Rick Monday uh, breaking the Expos' hearts uh, in a one-game playoff, in a strike short. And see, These are all things that still come back to me immediately. That's how big I was into it as a youngster. So I wonder what uh, what kind of hooked you and kept you going as it has, of course. Uh, you were, we're probably contemporaries age-wise, because I was a freshman at BYU in 84, and you came to BYU soon thereafter, right? 85, yeah. yeah. yeah 85. You're a good ball player here, and you had that professional experience. Uh, what what, as, what did your playing career? Uh, how did it prepare you for the kids you now deal with on, on an everyday basis?
1: Well, I think you know it's funny that if you play pro ball, people automatically think that you're you're better than you were or you know more about baseball, which is not the which is not the case. Um, in fact, a lot of really good players would make horrible coaches, and and uh, I I just think playing that one year of pro ball gave me a really good edge. My first job at Alta High School, I mean, I got that thing when I was 26 years old, and it was probably the best job, best high school job. And Coach Gary Garcia, who had been there for many, many years, called me two weeks before the job opened and said, Hey, Mike, I know you're graduating in a couple weeks because um, I came back to get my teaching certificate and all that stuff when I was done. And I've already set up a, an appointment and an interview with, with the principal if you'd like to shoot. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to do. Jumped into that there three or four years, um, and then got the Dixie job when I really wasn't looking for the Dixie job. Uh, Brand new field, Hearst Field, and spent I thought, this will be nice to spend two or three years down here. And 16 years later, uh, the BYU job opened up. Really wasn't looking for the BYU job because I was really, I mean, I was deep into college officiating, working about 65 to 75 games a a winter. Basketball Um, now we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, refereeing college basketball. I see Blaine Fowler. All over the country when he was doing color for different different uh stations, and that's how I actually got to know Blaine Fowler's. I'd talked to him, I was supposed to be watching the players, but I'd be talking to Blaine before the game just about b y u stuff um It's in my blood i mean it's just it just uh it's like i said before i've been truly truly blessed to be able to do something that I absolutely love and have a a great passion for that I don't feel like i have to i can't wait to get to the field every every single day to go to what what the people call work I can't wait to get here.
0: You talk about a sixteen year stint down at uh, down in Dixie, so how much of your heart is still in southern Utah right now?
1: Well, I think a lot my wife's heart's more there. I had to drag her out of, of St George and it took about a year for her to figure out that she was she was actually going to stay up here <laughs> but a lot of i mean that's where our kids grew up uh, we've we've got my youngest daughter's twenty two and I've got three boys: Marcus, who's playing pro ball right now. And He was drafted out of Pineview. Right. He was drafted in 2010 out of Pineview. He's a minor league free agent. Just finished his Double A season with the Mariners. Um,
0: Arkansas Travelers. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Arkansas Travelers. And um, he, he's. Uh, I've got Nathan, who's my second son, and, and Tyson, who's 30, and so six grandkids. Like I said, and it's just all those kids. They all grew up in St. George. That's what we know. That's yeah. where our friends are are from. And but we've got. When I came up, I had so much to do. I was I was swamped with. With what I'm, with what I was doing, trying to change the culture of this program and get things up and running, and working with the alumni and doing all the things that that a Division One coach has to do to to have a successful program. And my wife's going, shoot, what, you know, where are my, all my friends? But we're integrated, everything's great right now, and our, it's interesting, all our kids are up here, and so we really have no reason to be down there. Um, but. Obviously when you when you spend 16 years yeah. somewhere that's where your kids grow up that's that's where part of your heart's going to always yeah, be. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Uh, so so when did uh, the basketball officiating get morphed into your, your your coaching career?
1: it's interesting because I, you know, my high school baseball coach Ron Rushton uh, when I was probably 22 years old well, my first year after playing pro ball, 22, 23 whatever I was, called me up and said, "Hey, I've got a, a um, I need a linesman on my football referee crew." I said, yeah, good. What do I do? Go buy some white pants and a striped shirt and bring a whistle, and that's all you need to do. So I went out, and I loved it. I'm, it was like being back on the field again and, and uh, just the feeling of high school, even though it was sophomores. And after the season was over, he said, hey, you can work two basketball games a week and, and make 34 times two instead of just one. You know, So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, any way, I, any way I can do this. So I, I officiated football and, and basketball. I actually At the high school level. At the talking, high school. Yeah. And then I did to call it junior college. Um, and then, obviously, I worked in college baseball, I worked in the Western Athletic Conference, college baseball, for a couple of years as, a, as an umpire. Um, but basketball, just, I, I loved it. Uh, my first game ever was, and people wouldn't think this is a big game, it was uh, Viewmont and, uh, I believe, Brighton Junior Varsity game. And I got the game because it was turned back by somebody that was better than I was. It was literally my first high school game. I was chasing the ball out in the hall and didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> But the one thing I could do is make calls. I mean, I could get the calls right, uh, even though I'd go six rows up to get the basketball. <laughs> and there was a, a guy named Ray Hale there who was an evaluator evalu- evaluating my partner. And I I won't repeat the words because you can't do it on BYU radio, but basically he he told my partner, you might as well just quit. And he told me, who I, I didn't even know him, he said, if you want to work college basketball— Keep working at this thing because you have a chance. Hmm. That's how I got into it.
0: And you're early 20s here now, right? Yeah, early yeah. 20s. Yeah. So
1: I kept working, and I just shot through the high school level. And I, you know, I look back, and I'm really happy that I worked the high school level, junior college level, and then got into the D1 level. I got into D1 in 1996. Bobby Dwyer, who's still still doing it now, mm-hmm. uh, brought me in in 1996, and I went down to Dixie and I said, "You've got to allow me to referee if if I'm going to take this job because the financially, I just there's no way I, I could just do one of them." And they said no problem, and they stuck with it the whole time, and and it, and it worked. It was tricky scheduling once in a while, but um, it, it worked out great. Springtime was yeah. springtime was hairy, but um, it was it was all good, and it, and it worked out great. It's
0: it's phenomenal that that's and I'd see you like once a year because you could do an exhibition game at right. BYU, yeah. but because of your background, uh, there was a rule against you doing regular season games, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You I worked one one game, and I tried to turn it back. It was a Pac-12 assignment. And it was BYU-Washington State up in Spokane. You probably remember the game. BYU won. And um, the whole game, I'm thinking, geez, don't, don't screw anything up. Don't, don't act like you're going to give something to BYU that, that anybody's going to question. And, you, know, and um, you probably remember the game. If, I if, think if, BYU no, if, won. If it's the
0: Spokane game, that was Dave Rose's first win. As head coach, it probably was that
1: because yeah,
0: and, and then they played Wazoo again a couple years later or uh, previously in in Pullman. But if it was the Spokane game, yeah. that was Dave Rose's first win. His career began head coaching career with a home loss to LMU when they weren't in the same conference. Then he went to Spokane and got that neutral, technically neutral floor mm-hmm. win. But as a game, you know, Wazoo would play some games there, and that was his first win. That I, was the I, game we're I about. would
1: be willing to bet it's that. It's yeah. that. I just remember it was in Spokane. Yeah. And, because Brand new I know the, the the building had just opened and that was it. Yeah. And I called I called uh the supervisor of the Pac 12 and I said please don't ever give me one of those games again. And, <laughs> you know, exhibitions are fine. It, it it's going to be it's going to be tied at, in the third quarter or well, not quarter but halfway through the second half and then the team that's supposed to win is going to win by 40 points and that's how they usually go and it's hard to screw something like that up but Always felt weird. I worked with Dave down at down at Dixie, and so yeah. I, I didn't want him to like. I didn't want him to get upset with me and make a bad call or have my partner. You know, right. it's just an awkward situation, but. I had to work games and get work early in the season, so it was nice to work exhibition.
0: Officiating, as in sports, is a meritocracy, and assignments are awarded in the postseason based on how good they think you are, and you made it to Sweet 16s and Elite 8s as a college basketball referee, didn't you?
1: I did, yeah. It's just, uh, I felt like I was—in uh, fact, John Adams was the supervisor when when I was done. My last game that I ever worked was a Sweet 16, Michigan State, Louisville. Um, in my office, I have a ball signed by Tom Izzo and, and Rick Pitino that— um, coach pope actually helped me get so that's my last you know that's that's mm-hmm. my last remembrance of uh of basketball officiating let's but let's make it clear you don't
0: do that anymore don't do it anymore yeah. when
1: i came here obviously i know this is a 100% time job and coach homo and, and Brian santiago uh, made that clear and, and i obviously i knew that that you can't do both this this requires it's a different it's a different deal up mm-hmm. here um but yeah it's it's a it, it was a fantastic part of it. i didn't know if i could give it up i, I honestly it, 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 financially Pretty pretty darn good deal. I mean, they get paid they get paid pretty well. So that was kind of hard to, to walk away from. But this is BYU. This is this is where I, where I kind of grew up myself. And um, what is it? My dream job? Looking now, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But so with the New York Yankees, I and mean, there's other jobs out there that mm-hmm. you, you you would like to do. But this is this is where I want to be. And uh, it, it seems like I got the job honestly three days ago. That's how fast time's gone for me, because we just put our nose down and. and and just just worked our tails off for the last five years. And
0: uh, right now, uh, one of the projects that uh, has occupied a lot of your mental energies is what's just being completed across the street from us here in uh, in your new diamond. It's a, it's a whole new. It looks people who people who don't know what's gone into it wouldn't know that it's now artificial turf. Yeah, it looks
1: fabulous. It looks my my. I guess the uh, the idea in my mind when I came up came up with this idea four years ago when I took it to Brian Santiago was I want people to walk through the portals in February and look at this field and say, wow, how do they keep this grass so green in February? And that's come to fruition. I mean, you look at our field, you come through the portal, it's a, the it's all turf, there's no dirt on the field, which people are saying, well, yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> I'm a natural grass guy, no no doubt about it. I took care of our field down at Dixie for 16 years. I love mowing, I love overseeding with rye and you know keeping it green and all the stripes and all that stuff. In this climate, this is an incredible surface for us. Artificial turf, the same surface that's on the, uh, the Rays field down in uh, Florida, there's a heating system under it. Thanks to Dave Decker, former player, who gave us a generous gift of a million dollars to, to kick this thing off. Um, but the whole field configuration is different. It's, we have a bunting station that's a, a third of a scale of our, of our f- actual field. It's just an incredible, incredible uh, facility. It's got to be one of the top 10 facilities in the country right now.
0: Now, this is a facility, and it's not the program, uh, but it's an important part of the program, which has done amazing things since Coach has been involved. And this past season is probably uh, uh, maybe somewhat of a microcosm of everything that's led you to this point through five years. It it was a slow start, and then it got rolling, and it got rolling to a point where uh, it was one of the best ends to a season you could have ever hoped to have.
1: It sure was, and it, it, what it did is it, it. We we looked at that not as a destination. Uh, getting to a regional was one of our goals this year. It was our ultimate ultimate goal. I mean, we want to get to Omaha, so we don't feel like that was our destination. That's a step, but it, it just it's a cultural thing and how we build. And and it showed us a little bit of our weakness uh, where we need to be as far as our pitching staff goes, um, and just bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, that's that's what it's all about in athletics. Is you have to have those guys, but in baseball. Um, you know size isn't everything you can have so we're we're trying to look for pitching depth and and uh, matchups right hand and left hand and different things like that, but I think pitching is the biggest area that we and we've been working on it. it's not a surprise I mean, we 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 know what it's going to take to get to to omaha or super regional and we're working on those things i'm excited about our team this year the, the pitchers we brought in and uh, can't wait to get them on the field on friday uh, to to see what they can do but it's uh five years ago, I think the culture changed every single guy in our program right now. And I'm talking not just players, but equipment managers, trainers, doctors, academic advisors. Everybody who's involved in our program is 100% um, driven to be the best. Uh, you, you read in our mission statement, President Worthen talks about this a lot. One of the parts of our mission statement says, at BYU, we are committed to excellence. And um, also, excellence is expected. And we talk about excellent doesn't mean being perfect. Excellence means you come out every single day and do the best you possibly can at whatever you're doing. And that's the culture we've got right now and it's it's filtering down from the old guys to the to the brand new freshmen who are wide-eyed right now, wondering where their classes are. Mm-hmm. They're going to figure it out, and we're committed to excellence on the baseball field and in our in our baseball program overall.
0: You talked about getting your guys on the field uh, later this week, and you just came from the field. Uh, give us a sense of what your schedule's like now, because people say, well, your baseball season's over, um, but there, there's a lot of work already going on.
1: Yeah, the fall's kind of like our spring training. We we practice every single day from 1 to 4. You know, we have certain hours. Right now we can only have the, get the athletes for two hours a week. Uh, but there's a there's a 40-day window where we can have 27 practices, and we get we get them for 20 hours a week during that time. So it's really our spring training. It's, it's, uh, we play scrimmages, and October 6th on a Friday before the Boise State game, we have our blue-white scrimmage at 4.30. So we put them in different uniforms and have rosters, and it's just like a game. Uh, so people can stop by before they go to that game. But um, we'll play Salt Lake Community College in southern Idaho, just kind of scrimmage games. But it's where guys on our team really prove that they deserve this spot they've earned this spot um and they they find out the pecking order and we know a lot going into january so we never really quit the only month we take off is december and when we can't be with them at all a week before finals and um all the way through they start lifting weights tomorrow i mean Hmm. they jump in and 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 we get after it
0: and the parenthetical note about the new diamond is because of the heating system you'll get more time on that field in the winter time when, when when the weather allows
1: my my theory, and I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed, is that if it's not actively snowing or raining, we're going to be on that field. And um, we've we've gone to the lacrosse fields in January, late January, when it's been 28, 30 degrees, and the guys love being out there. I think they they <laughs> don't tell me they they don't. The only guys that are cold are the coaches because we're not moving around like those guys are. But I think we're going to be on the field a lot more, and that's that's our hope. Uh, the more you're outside, the the better you're going to get, the the better development. It's going to be a, an incredible recruiting tool for us. Just showing the commitment that the the administration has for um, the baseball program. Uh, it, if you haven't seen pictures, I, I sent it out on Instagram and different things. But stop by Miller Park. It looks so cool during right the now. day. Yeah. Come out and uh, walk through the portal and see this see this incredible stadium. John Beck
0: is coming up in a minute. Uh, we're just wrapping up with Mike Littlewood, BYU baseball coach. Last couple of things. Uh, we mentioned your son Marcus, Seattle Mariners organization. Uh, a former Cougar is now part of the Seattle Mariners organization with uh, Jacob Hanneman. Yeah. yeah. That happened just this week, right?
1: Yeah, he got DNF'd. He got, he got waived by uh, the Cubs. They were hoping he would probably clear waivers and then they could take him off the 40-man roster. He didn't clear waivers. Uh, Seattle picked him up and took him right to the big leagues. And I keep checking to see if he might be in the lineup tonight, but... Uh, that makes the third BYU former BYU player to make the big leagues this year. Taylor Cole, right in a pitcher. Um, Jacob Brugman with the with the A's, mm-hmm. who is now hurt, uh, hurt his calf. Uh, but I think he, he he led the A's in in uh, re- you yeah. him very closely yeah. in batting average and yeah. very very efficient. I'm surprised he got sent back down. But and then Hanneman. I mean, that's really really exciting for us. Five years ago, when we our first year here, they were sitting in this meeting that we just had with our team and just going, wow, what's this, what's this new coach all about? And they're in the big leagues now. I mean, it's just an mm-hmm. incredible story, and I'm really happy for them.
0: Are there t- is there a team or teams you are checking the standings for at this time of year in the bigs?
1: There's really not. I just love – what I do is I'll go try to find a game that's late innings, close game, and watch the strategy. That's what I do. I'm kind of a, a nerd that way. But interestingly mm-hmm. enough, I never – I didn't look at our stats maybe one time. I don't look at, I don't look at batting averages. I don't look at uh, on-base I'm, – I'm kind of a uh, – really touchy type guy and go subjective and so it's kind of interesting that way I'm just what looks good to me, it goes out there and plays.
0: <laughs> right on. Uh, this was an enjoyable conversation, and, and I know we'll do this again. There's a lot more to talk about. Mike, thanks for coming in and breaking away from your responsibilities. tonight. we'll get you back to the Diamond right now, but thank you again. Appreciate you, Greg. Thanks. All right. That is Mike Littlewood. Uh, we're going to come back next and get back into uh, the BYU-Utah rivalry. We'll talk with one half of Beck to Harleen. John Beck will be joining us on the line as we continue. You are tuned to BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, radio.org and the BYU Radio app. My name My My name is Greg Grubel, and this is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. John Beck next. Stay with us. With the BYU license plates, no matter where you are, you show your Cougar spirit, and you make it possible for students to get an education. The donation you make when you get the
2: license plates goes to support BYU scholarships. So whether spreading Cougar pride coast to coast or getting to the big game, you're also funding scholarship opportunities for BYU students.
0: Learn about free special plates today at alumni.byu.edu plates. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rebell. Well, during Lavelle Edwards' final season as BYU's head football coach, uh, John Beck was in his first year of service as an LDS missionary in Portugal. But before John left for Lisbon, uh, Lavelle had already shared some news and made John a promise. Uh, Coach Edwards said he'd be retiring but that a scholarship would be waiting for John when he returned from Portugal. Upon his return, John joined the BYU football program and would start four of eight games as a freshman, then 10 of 11 games as a sophomore, followed by starts in 24 of the next 25 games as he capped off his Cougar career with 10 straight wins, including victories over Utah and then Oregon in a bowl game to end the 2006 season. He is one half of Beck to Harleen. John Beck has snapped help uh, helped BYU snap a four game losing streak against the Utes this year. BYU enters the Utah game on a six game skid against their rivals. He was a prolific signal caller at BYU, tons of yards and touchdowns. He'd go on to play six seasons in the NFL, two in the CFL before playing his last game in 2015. John Beck joins us on the line from California tonight. Uh, John, welcome into behind the mic, and you are in Cali, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm out here at uh, my kids' football practice out here in Southern California. You are at practice as we speak? I took a break from my offensive coordinator duties to come over here and do this. Oh, you are coaching.
0: That's awesome. How long have you been doing that?
3: This is our first year doing tackle. He uh, has played the last couple of seasons in flag, and he's been begging to play tackle, so I led him this year, and I said, okay, well, I'll step in and be the OC. So we're dialing some things up. It, it, it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, hopefully you don't mind taking uh, 10 or 15 minutes to, to, to speak with our audience. I do appreciate the time.
3: No, it's totally fine. Because I'm leaving this Saturday to go to the game, I have the person helping me out there and calling the plays now. So okay. we're all good.
0: Very good. So are you're coming in for BYU-Utah?
3: Yep, I am. I'll be up there Saturday morning. I got a little appearance I'm doing for Nissan before the game for a few hours, and then I'll be out on the field.
0: No, that's good. I'll look for you. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. We'll talk about you know the game itself in a bit, but um, I really love your story. And and before BYU, you were being recruited pretty hard by by a bunch of Pac twelve schools. In addition to BYU, and and the recruiting didn't really go away uh, during your mission. After your mission, uh, those schools and more were after you again, weren't they?
3: You know, I was recruited more heavily while I was on my mission and when I came home from my mission than I was before. I was not super heavily recruited coming out of high school. My team won the state championship. I was named the player of the year for the state, but, you know, there was really only a few schools. Every time they heard the word mission, they just were like, well, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. Oregon, Stanford, they just, as soon as they heard mission, they're like, well, we'll talk to you when you get back. And it was when I came home, I really kind of just, I had four schools that I knew I was heavily looking at, and it was BYU, Arizona State, UCLA, and Washington. And all of those coaches had come to my parents' house while I was on my mission. Two of those schools, the last, I would say, probably a few months, were sending me weekly emails, really pushing hard. And as soon as I came home, all those schools knew the week I came home. And I want to say the second day, the third day I came home, I'd already spoken to all of them. So, you know, I, but I promised i made a commitment to BYU. So when I came home, I knew there was a new coach I hadn't met yet but I felt like this is the school I made a, my first commitment to so I need to you know give that one my hey I'm going to give you guys the hardest look because I committed to you before and aside from being home in Arizona and having the ASU coach call me and say I want you to come to practice today aside from going to that one practice the first trip I made official trip was BYU and really that was it coach Cohen grabbed me afterwards we talked a little bit and I'm like you know what this still feels like the right place and I notified the other schools and the funny thing was UCLA called me on the first week of school, called my dad, hmm. and said, please call John and let him know we still want him, and we just found out through NCAA he can back out, even though he's been on campus because we haven't officially started, he can back out if he's changed his mind and still come to us.
0: Wow. So you, know? so you, were, still, you were still being uh, uh, called upon even as you were at BYU.
3: Yeah, it was That's crazy. I was walking by the Smith Fieldhouse when I got the call. It was snowing. Hmm. My dad's like UCLA is asking if you're okay and you want to change your mind, and I'm like, it's snowing, it's January, UCLA, it's sunny, I'm like that's wow. But no, I'm here because this, this place feels right.
0: Well, you made your commitment, but years and years before that, on what we might call maybe an unofficial visit because you were just a wee lad, you actually had a had a had a neat moment with uh, Lavelle Edwards that uh, that that he may or may not have recalled years later, but uh, you you had a sense that you might want to be. Uh, be a quarterback for BYU one day?
3: Yeah, when I was a kid, man, I just adored the BYU football program, the quarterbacks. My dad was a track athlete on campus. And it's weird that I can remember this, but I can remember standing by the weight room, a football player's wife had made me this like stuffed football. And I remember it because I had it for so long in life. And it said BYU on it, but I I would stand by the door of the weight room and guys would poke their heads out and ask me to throw them passes. So I just was kind of around the program and I did have a running with Lavelle and he when I was a little kid. Now I don't remember this because I was, you know, younger than those stories I was just telling, but apparently Lavelle read like reached down to me and said, Hey kid, like what do you want to be? And I grabbed his hat and said, Buy you tutor quarterback I had a speech impediment when I was a kid and that meant BYU cougar quarterback. So <laughs> I guess my commitment to Lavelle happened when I was three or four,
0: and then, and then his and then his to you came later, and then you returned the favor back when you got off your mission, and and you 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 mentioned, you know the Gary was now the coach now, and and uh, the team wasn't winning, and you were coming into the situation kind of thrown in. Those were interesting days, weren't they?
3: They were. You know, I have to say, even my commitment. I don't want to say that I questioned it, but you know. It wasn't easy because I saw the program, and it wasn't the program that, like, my childhood memories were made of, right? Right. You know? And, uh, you know, the other thing that was hard was, man, my family was season ticket holders to Arizona State since I was eight. So I had been around the Pac-10 back then just a lot. And to know I wasn't going to play in the Pac-10, I was going to come to BYU, and I knew there was just, like, like, the feeling of the program was just, ugh, this is not what I'm used to. But... I don't know if I've ever shared this story on the radio, but actually on my visit, I woke up in the morning and I had some friends that were at the MTC teaching, and they said, hey, you should come over and sit in as an investigator for, these, you know, for the discussions so these elders can practice, and it'd be great to see you. Well, I had no car, so I got up and I walked from the downtown Marriott up to the MTC, but I knew, you know what, I'm just going to cut across the football field right here. It'd be nice. I haven't been out here in years. So I hopped the fence and I cut across the football field. And when I was walking across the field, that's when I just had this feeling like it may not look like the right place now, but this is the right place. And I knew right then, like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And in all honesty, through all those rough times, those first few years, those times that I would question, gosh, why? Why is it going like this? Why when I'm working so hard does it just seem things aren't working? There were many times I remembered that moment of that feeling like, It's not what it it looks like right now, like what you want, but I just had this feeling like just give it your all. So I'm glad I did.
0: I'll say from from the freshman season through your senior season, it's really um, a step-by-step process. It's losing seasons in your first two years, but you're now playing more. Then, then getting to a bowl in 2005 with a new coach, Bronco comes in. Just getting to the bowl was was a huge accomplishment. And then the next year, uh, finishing, it the, finishing it the way you did with 10 straight wins and winning a bowl game, beating the team that had beaten you the year before, which was Utah, it was just a great way to kind of see the start-to-finish progression. And I, I want to flash just to the to the Bronco coming in part. This is halfway through your college career now. He comes in, new coach, coach. Um, Give us your your sense at that time of how this was going to what you thought how it was going to work out for you when the new guy came
3: in. Well, um, you know, it it kind of started before because when I entered Gary's offense, it was a very exciting offense to be a part of, but it was unlike anything I had ever done before. It was like what I watched, like that looks awesome to be in as a quarterback, but I had absolutely zero experience doing the majority of what that offense required. Mhm. So it was just like drinking from a fire hose for that beginning part and just always trying to just, you know, gosh, I I, I want to be able to get a hold of this. And I had to kind of make my mistakes in front of the crowd. And I knew that. And there was a lot of times I knew. I've never done this. I've never seen this before. And it kind of sucks that my mistakes have to happen in front of everybody, but I know I'm going to gain from it. So when Bronco showed up, there was this feeling of, like, returning the program to what it was, which was very exciting for me to be a part of. Very exciting to have that logo that in my childhood meant something to me, all of a sudden is on my head. And Bronco's just influence on the program and then having all those mistakes in my back pocket. Because what are mistakes, what's failure? It's a chance to learn and it's experience. So I'm like, okay, these two years have been hard, but gosh, I feel like I've got a lot of experience now going forward. And I could tell, it seems like the pieces are gonna fall into place. Now I did not anticipate a six and six season and that it would take that long for the pieces to fall into place. But, you know, eventually they did, and it worked out the way that it did the senior year. But you're right. It was just this progression step by step. And Bronco and I have a relationship that's special because I was his first quarterback, his first time being the head coach of BYU, and we had to grind through a lot of stuff. Right. A lot of stuff that we did not anticipate. But it's almost like we knew the promise that each other had to the program to give it everything and. I was going to give it, and I knew he was doing everything that he could, and I have a ton of respect for Bronco for what he did for the BYU program when I was there.
0: People remember your throw to the end zone as a senior against Utah, but there was a throw to the end zone as a junior against Utah that was also part of your career, wasn't it?
3: That was. People, that play right there, um, okay, so that single play and how kind of I approached wanting to learn from it, that's kind of like what I did throughout my entire career there. I just I made mistakes that I would go, what could I have done better? When I made that play, I did not see it as a mistake. I shuffled to my left, I tried to buy as much time as I could, I tried to give give guys an opportunity. I did everything that you're coached to do in that situation. But when it didn't work, I'm like, there's gotta be more and I went back and watched the tape like there's one guy chasing after me. Ten guys in coverage I'm a way better athlete than that dude chasing me. I could have bought more time. And it was it was that like, okay, I'm going to find out every single possible solution I could have had to that. Could I have done this? Could I have done this? I'm putting all this in my back pocket. And it's crazy that a year later I'm shuffling to my left again. <laughs> yep. And it just plays out. And did I know that Johnny was going to do what he was going to do? Did I know Bryce was going to do what he was going to do and run right? I, I didn't know that stuff. but. Gosh, I spent so much time trying to prepare myself that, you know, I can still remember looking up the clock, and somehow when I took a breath, gosh, I just felt like, man, I'm kind of calm right here. Like, I feel really good. I'm really prepared for this moment.
0: How often does that throw, that play, how often does Beck to Harleen come up in your life 11 years later?
3: I mean, it's crazy the places I am, and somebody mentions it. You know, obviously every week during the BYU-Utah week, uh, it comes up every day. Um, but in the off-seasons, just, you know, I'll be somewhere and somebody will, hey, you're a so-and-so, right? Gosh, I remember that play. I was at my uncle's house. Everybody was just crushed because we had some Utah fans there because our relatives are Utah fans and they were in our face. And then when that play happened, oh, my gosh, we did this, and I jumped in the air and I hit the fan and I still have a scar. I mean, those are what the stories are like. Yeah, it you I mean, all the time.
0: You made the play. I I I only called the play, but I get I, I get the same type of feedback all the time about that one moment. And I I I I never get tired of, of, of people who want to bring it up because it was such a great, great moment in BYU football history, and I'm sure you I hope you feel the same way.
3: No, I do. I mean I love that I was a part of that. I mean the thing for me also is to me that play is just there's so much attached to it because there's four years of giving everything I could give. And, like, every offseason, trying to dig for more, learn more, just that, like, pursuit of getting better. And to be quite honest, that's what I miss now, that I'm not playing anymore, is I, I just I don't, I don't get to have that, you know? I loved, 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 loved the off seasons. I loved bouncing back from things, and I loved the challenge of, I want to be the best I can be. You know, so to have four years leading into that play, you know, that's why some people may look at how I reacted after that. Because when I mean, it was more than one play. It was years coming into that play, and me just feeling like finally, finally. I have sixty seconds left with
0: you, John, and uh, it's been six games of uh, of losing to Utah that people have kind of pent up and built up. And you know how big this this weekend would be for the players, coaches, and fans of BYU. Can get it done, right?
3: Oh yeah, huge. You want me to answer more? <laughs> if you That's the simplest way to put it, right? I mean, I hope they do. I really hope they do. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be a team that you just, gosh, the job hasn't gotten done in a long time, and we want so badly to have it happen. And I just think it comes down to being in the moment, play by play, one play at a time. Live in the moment. Just give it everything you got. Good things usually always happen when you do that.
0: Well, we could talk a lot longer, John. Uh, There are more things we could discuss, and we'll discuss next time I have you on. But as for this week and this weekend, I really do appreciate your perspective. Thanks for breaking away from some play calling to join me for a few minutes. And uh, we'll certainly do this again. Best of luck to your team as you leave them this weekend. But uh, much more luck to your other team here at BYU, and and, and you'll be around for it. We look forward to having you back in town.
3: Thanks, Greg. I'll find you out there on the field. Thanks, John. Saturday.
0: All right. That is John Beck, and that is tonight's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel here on BYU Radio. Our appreciation goes out to Brian Logan, Coach Mike Littlewood, and John Beck for being our guests this evening. BYU and Utah, Saturday night right here on BYU Radio, 6 o'clock pregame and an eight fifteen kick. The Cougars and the Utes. Greg Grubel saying, go Cougs, and thanks for tuning in to Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Good night, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday.